This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. Hi, and a very good afternoon to you, and welcome. Wonderful to be in your company today, and particularly today because today is Tainit Esther. Tainit Esther. Today is the fast of Esther. So, if you are observing the fast of Esther, which I hope you are, um, you would have known that the fast came in early this morning, just after 5 a.m., and it ends with the reading of the Megillah, and we try our utmost to hear the Megillah tonight before we have broken our fasts. So <coughs> it will probably explain one of the reasons why Megillah readings, and particularly in the evening, are known to be quite swift, quite speedy, because uh, not only the Baal Koreb, not only the person who's reading the Megillah, but everybody around also has been fasting and uh, wants to get that drink, wants to get that uh, food down the gullet a little bit in order to uh, satiate our um, hunger pains, and um, the Megillah is there in the way, so to speak, and we need to get it done rather quickly. But we'll talk a little bit more about the practicalities of Purim in a moment. I'd like to share with you, if I may, a couple of little unusual Purim insights. We've heard a lot about uh, the hiddenness, about the fact that Hashem's name does not occur in the Megillah and why. We've heard about the idea of Esther being hidden and so on. But there is quite a fascinating discussion that takes place um, in the good Talmud, which uh, hints at or gives us a very, very deep and beautiful insight into something rather practical um, and rather unusual. We know that um, we're supposed to hear the Megillah, the reading of the story of Purim, tonight and tomorrow. It should not be only heard once. And it should not be and it cannot be. You cannot fulfill the obligation by hearing it twice kind of in a row. Um, either at night or by day. It needs to be heard once in the dark hours, once at night, and a second time in the daytime hours, preferably tomorrow morning, but any time during the day will do for the daytime reading of the Megillah. Who needs to hear the Megillah? All men and women. We've got to remember that the story of Purim came about through the um, spiritual actions of Mordechai and, of course, Queen Esther, men and women. Not only played an equal role, but in a way the women played an even bigger role uh, than the men, if it weren't for Esther and her prowess, her beauty, her uh, abilities, and the fact that she was right there in the palace of the king and was able to pull off the most amazing, amazing salvation for the entire Jewish people, we wouldn't be here to tell the tale. And therefore, we owe our lives to Esther. We owe our lives to Mordechai and his guidance. We owe our lives uh, to them, literally. And therefore, a fast today. And uh, the story of Purim and the hearing of the Megillah twice over Purim is something that we really should um, endeavor with all our efforts to make sure that we do. But why? Why do we read the Megillah twice? Surely, like on any other Chag, on any other Yom Tov, on any other festival, one time of reading would and uh, should suffice. It would be okay to read the Megillah just once. Why twice? Torah reading on a regular festival takes place once, and during the day we don't read it at night. Why is this Megillah so different. And there is a fascinating, very beautiful insight that is brought in the Gemara, it's brought in the Talmud, which um, tells us a very, very beautiful and fascinating 
um, idea, a very fascinating insight, a very fascinating story behind why it is, one of the reasons why it is that we read the Megillah twice, once by day and once by night, or rather once by night and once by day, with the night coming before the day. And they refer us back to a psalm. Now, if you want to Go and check it up. You can go and look at it. Psalm number 22. In Psalm number 22 um, of the famous book of Tehillim, of the Psalms, Kapitel Psalm 22, Chofbeis. It is Lamnatseach. It is a psalm that King David um, uh, instructed to the conductor. Remember that we were talking about the writing of lyrics and music. The conductor, Lamnatseach, but it could refer to the conductor of all, to the Almighty as well. And then it says, Alayelet Hashachar. We talk about something called the Ayelet Hashachar. Ayelet Hashachar, we probably know, is the name of a place of a kibbutz in Israel. But what does Ayelet Hashachar actually mean? Ayelet Hashachar is a very, very beautiful description of a kind of ayelet. What is an ayelet? If you take the Hebrew word ayel and you think about the word ayelet, ayelet is a female deer, or as it's often translated, a hind. And this animal is described as being very, very beautiful, very lovely, um, very swift, very nimble. And um, it also happens to be the ayelet we're told of the shachar. Shachar, like for shacharit, shachar is the morning. Ayelet shachar is a deer, a female deer, <coughs> that rises up early in the morning. What is the image? The image that is painted by our sages is of the early time right at the beginning. I guess there were a lot of people who got up early this morning uh, to have something to eat, and you may have still been up when you saw um, the beginning of daylight, of daybreak. And as the day starts to break and as the sun starts to appear actually below the horizon, the first thing that we see are some rays of light. And those rays of light, um, says the poet, are actually um, very similar to the horns of a deer. And as they rise up behind the horizon, you have these beautiful rays of light that then gradually... You see the kind of the head of the animal emerge, which, of course, is an image of the sun beginning to rise behind the horizon. And if we think about that beautiful image, that is what we're talking about, we say, when we talk about the Ayelet HaShachar. So what was it that King David was praising? He was praising the rising of the morning, the rising of the first light, the fact that there has been darkness (laughs) <laughs> and with load shedding, we all know what that means. And all of a sudden, now, as the Ayelet HaShachar comes into being, so the light starts to radiate, and the morning is born, and it's a brand new day. And we have so much to look forward to and so much to be grateful for. And uh, we have made it through the night, and the darkness has now been uh, replaced by the light. And when we think about this amazing story that goes behind this psalm, We're told that King David in his prophetic vision was writing about someone who would come into existence and save the Jewish people hundreds of years later, and her name was Esther. It actually mentions this in the Talmud, that what King David was referring to was Esther. Well, what has this got to do with reading the Megillah, both in the night and in the morning? Well, it goes on to say, if you take a look at a couple of verses in to this particular psalm, which starts off with King David pleading with God and saying, why have you forsaken me? And he says, I have not found salvation, 
by day and I cannot find any respite. I cannot find any rest. I cannot actually find any peace by night. It says this was Esther. Esther, unlike in any other time, in any other persecution, and perhaps anybody else, if we think about Esther herself, I imagine it's referring to that um, Esther wasn't an ordinary citizen. Esther was actually, she was she was living with the enemy. She wasn't only um, involved um, in the story of, uh, of of Purim and the salvation of the story of Purim. She was living in the king's palace. She had no respite. There was absolutely no difference. Um, it wasn't as though she could close her doors at night and say, well, um, everything is okay because I'm not out on the street and I'm not being ashamed and I'm not being shouted at by Homan for not bowing down, etc. She was day and night living with all of these issues. She had no rest from the scourge, from the terrible plague, from the terrible enemy that had been cast upon the Jewish people and the decrees that were made against us to destroy us. This was Esther. Ayelet HaShachar, however, was Esther. She turned it around. She brought light into the darkness. She changed the um, darkness of Haman's decree and her wicked husband, Ahasuerus's decree. She turned it around and she brought us the light and the salvation that we talk about and we celebrate on Purim. I'll be back with you right after this. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. So uh, we were talking about Ayelet HaShachar and we're talking about Esther and we're talking about King David's psalm and the a prophecy of King David actually that this would refer to Esther and we actually learn from the fact that Esther was um, hounded by all the difficulties that she had and she could not find any rest not by day or by night we actually find that, that is an actual reference to the reason why we read the Megillah by night and by day because if the persecution if the difficulty was something that was um, as harsh, as difficult by night as it was by day, so was the salvation. The salvation and the story of Purim and the fact that we managed to um, really overturn completely, turn around time it really was when we think about Purim, was the idea of taking all the difficulties, all the harshnesses, all the darknesses, and actually turning them into light, creating from the difficulty a salvation, from a a, a, a real decree that was going to wipe out the entire Jewish people, that we were salvaged from it. This wasn't just a stroke of luck. It wasn't something that was coincidental. It was something that came and had appealed to the very, very depths of um, the uh, spirituality of every Jew and of the entire world and of touching on the, the essence of God himself. This was really what we are thinking about what we're looking at and why it is that we read the Megillah both by night as well as by day to remember that as the difficulties were harsh by day and by night, the salvation was much more um, beautiful and much more uh, alive and much brighter because it was also by day as well as by night. So when we think about um, living through pretty dark times, <coughs> and uh, with no pun intended, the fact that at the moment we're going through a period of time when um, we're not sure whether there are going to be uh, lights on or lights off, and the uh, load shedding uh, seems to be taking its toll on our um, 
kind of our, our psyche and our psychology and our feelings and our work and our economy and all of these things at the same time. Um, what do we as Jews have to think about? And I think that perhaps somewhere embedded in the story is um, a very, very beautiful answer for each and every one of us. And that is that the job of Esther was to create light. The job of that Ayelet HaShachar was to bring good tidings, to add to the negativity, to wallow in it, to allow it to get, to allow it to get us down, to become a naysayer and a darkness spreader is certainly not on our Jewish agenda and it flies completely in the face of all of Judaism and most particularly of Purim which happens to come at this particular time the fact that we're talking about the turnover the fact that we're talking about turnaround the fact that we're talking about taking what seems to be <clears throat> turning it upside down standing it on its head is really what Purim is really all about um, transformation taking the uh, difficulties and turning them into either opportunities or turning them into actual bright and radiant stars in and of themselves this is really what Judaism wants from us and this is really what um, the underlying message of Esther Ayelet HaShachar and uh, the reading of the Megillah and Purim are truly all about it's about understanding that our life's mission as Jews, as human beings, as people um, in our society, is to create light. When there is darkness, be positive. When there is darkness, create light. When there is darkness, give people what to look forward to and enable them to be able to envisage and to dream about uh, the coming of the morning. Um, and this surely is uh, where our heads should be at. It might sound dreamlike. It might sound, sound completely impractical. But you'll, I think, have... Um, and no real idea of how a little bit of positivity and some positive energy and some positive messages and, and some positive thought can actually uh, not only solve your um, practical electrical problems, but they can get people to think a little bit differently about what we should be doing, how we should be doing it, and uh, not just on a practical level, but certainly on a spiritual level. And when it comes to the Festival of Purim, um, there is another underlying theme, and that is the theme of sharing, of caring, and of unity. If we think about uh, Mordechai and Esther and what they actually did to enable, from a spiritual point of view, that the practicalities of Purim should be played out and the triumph of the Jewish people should be to such an extent that this was uh, became one of the greatest Jewish festivals and holidays of all time, um, what they actually tapped into was the idea that there was something spiritually that needed to be done. And one of the methods of bringing about the spiritual, sal spiritual salvation and creating the light that we were referring to before was through unity, through bringing people together, to, through um, the sharing and the caring that is actually endemic to Purim to the extent that um, our sages told us that we would never and we should never read the Megillah without, in other words, separate out the mitzvahs of Purim because there was a discussion about whether the Megillah could be read on a different date. Perhaps there weren't people who were enabled in small places to read the Megillah. Perhaps people weren't able to travel. And um, perhaps then Purim would fall out on a day on which you couldn't read the Megillah like a Shabbat and so on. And it was um, deemed to be inappropriate to separate the Megillah from all the other mitzvot because all the other mitzvot have got to do 
with sharing, with caring for those in need, for with uh, making sure that you give what we call matanot levionim, matonos levionim, the idea of sharing and of giving gifts to and monetary gifts or food gifts or whatever it is to people who are poor and then not only sufficing with people who are poor um, but uh, people who are your friends by bonding with friends there is no other <coughs> mitzvah in the Torah that is so um, in tune with and so in, in keeping with the idea of brotherly love and of uh, showing each other kindness than on Purim where we share with each other, we give and it may seem to be menial and it may seem to be sometimes even a little silly that you're giving somebody a little bit of food um, and uh, perhaps a drink or whatever it is that you have as your Mishloach Manot um, part of the uh, Purim celebration is to bring people together, to have people um, uh, looking at each other in the eye, sharing gifts, exchanging things. It doesn't matter how much you have spent. It is actually all about the heart and the soul that you put into it and the feeling that is there. And this is what all of these uh, images and these messages of Purim demonstrate. So the idea of togetherness and the idea of unity, the idea of the fact that we are all like one, that we are one community, we're one family, we're one people. And this is incredibly powerful in um, overcoming any obstacles that there may be um, in our way. The idea that we are together, the idea that we are supportive of each other, that we're not, God forbid, finding fault with each other, which um, has become, unfortunately, um, a human pastime, and particularly the pastime of media and um, all sorts of other um, realms that uh, find it necessary to just be pointing fingers and finding fault. This is all about I love you and I, I, I care for you and it doesn't matter whether you are as um, tall as me or as short as me or whether you are as religious as me or not as religious as me or whether you are as... Uh, <coughs> as adept at business as I might be, or whether you're as clever as me or whether you're as stupid as me. This is all about an absolute unity that takes um, a look at one thing and one thing only, and that is that the essence of man, the soul of um, uh, of each and every one of us, is a real part of God, and that part of God is equal in everybody, and therefore by loving each other we're actually loving God, all that much more, and by caring and by sharing and by participation and by making sure that God's children see eye to eye and are able to um, celebrate together and be together and um, um, look upon each other with a favorable eye, all of these things are part and parcel of this wonderful, wonderful Purim experience. We were all in it together um, when the uh, sword of Homon, so to speak, uh, was hanging over our heads, where the sword of Achashverosh was hanging over our heads and we were about to face um, extinction and execution, persecution, and being wiped off the face of the map, as is common terminology that is still unfortunately used by um, those <coughs> who are against us, as they keep on saying, one of our strongest weapons taught by Mordechai and Esther is our unity our togetherness, our caring, our sharing, our understanding of each other, 
and our um, uh, commitment that uh, together we will not only be committed to the Almighty, we will not only be committed to His Torah and His mitzvot, but we are be committed to bringing light into the world, to doing what we as Jews are supposed to be able to do and are supposed to do all the time. Bring light into the world. Make this world a brighter place. Make this world a place that has hope. Make this world a place that has energy, that has a future, that has what to look forward to. And um, we keep Keep on, and we should keep on, um, punting that line and making sure that um, in our unity we are looking forward like Esther undoubtedly taught us to do all those thousands of years ago. So how do we keep Purim and what are the mitzvot of Purim? I'm sure they have been mentioned before, but just to recap in case you didn't catch it, um, there are several mitzvot, several things that should be done in order to fulfill Purim. First of all, we're going to begin this afternoon. Later this afternoon, um, at Mincha time, it's traditional to give um, the half shekel donation. Now, we don't have a temple anymore, and we're not actually giving the actual half shekel, but the tradition is to give in a denomination of a half, so like a half shekel or like a half dollar. Um, you can ask your rabbi whether five rand or uh, 50 cents or whatever would suffice. It supposedly should be something that is called a half. We donate that, and why? Because that kind of also speaks to our communal obligation, the fact that there was a unity of purpose in uh, giving the half shekel in the time of the Mishkan, the tabernacle, as well as the temples, um, and that was for all the communal events and communal things, communal sacrifices and so on that were needed, and it was given in the early part of the month of Adar, and this month of Adar is now reaching its midway point um, come Friday, and we are um, we want to make sure we get in early um, in order to have our tax affairs up to date. Uh, for the advent of the brand new um, month year or the tax year that is going to begin with um, um, Rosh Chodesh Nisan um, and the advent of Pesach a short while thereafter. So we make sure that we get those donations um, in and it's traditional on the afternoon of Tiny Esther of this afternoon to give that half shekel, to place it, um, uh, to purchase something that is called a half, to place it into a plate or into a pushka and to give that money to charity. This is not charity that is given the next day. This is, does not fulfill the mitzvah of Matanas Levionim, Matanot Levionim, um, on Purim, which is a different story. Then we go into Purim. As soon as the fast is out this evening, we should hear the reading of the Megillah. Now, people everywhere should hear the reading of the Megillah, and you should be able to hear it. It should not be so noisy that you can't hear the words, and we're told that each and every one of us only really fulfills this obligation if we hear the Megillah from the beginning to the end and in order. In other words, you can't listen to the latter half and then come back when you hear a later Megillah reading and say, okay, well, that was where I, I was up to, and we hear the other half out of order. It has to be heard in order. We'll be back with you with the rest of Purim right after this. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. Well, there's nothing quite like uh, Hopgazak and beautiful Hasidic nigun to get you into the mood of Purim, um, which is coming uh, really, really quickly now. And, uh, of course, it's almost upon us. Tonight and tomorrow is Purim. And there are four special mitzvot that one has to do on Purim. You have to hear the reading of the Megillah twice. As we mentioned throughout the program this evening, um, after about 20 to 7 onwards, one should hear the Megillah read 
during the night hours and you should hear the Megillah read during the morning hours, which is from any time tomorrow morning and till, until uh, the sun sets tomorrow afternoon, one should hear the Megillah read um, once during the day and once uh, on the night before. In addition to that, we need to make sure that we give Matanos Levionim. We need to make sure that we give Matanot Levionim, plural, plural, Matanot Evionim. In other words, gifts that have to be given to Evionim, to several people who are poor. This is done by um, giving money, uh, preferably, or food, of course, to people who are poor, uh, to people who cannot afford. Best way to fulfill this mitzvah is to give to an organization that distributes um, to the poor. It doesn't have to actually be on Purim itself, but as long as you've designated it on Purim, you fulfill the mitzvah. And uh, so um, ideal uh, would be to give to the Chavra Kadisha on at such a time um, where the money is going to be distributed. This is not for your shul. This is not for your shiva students. This is not for uh, brides to be married. This is matonas levionin. This is for people to be able to sustain themselves, to live on in to be able to celebrate a Purim of their own. And uh, that should be done during the day tomorrow after, preferably after you've heard the Megillah read a second time. That is the time for giving Matanas Levionim. We should also give uh, Mishloach Manot, as we mentioned before, food gifts that are given to a friend. Here, quite specifically, a man should give to a man friend, a woman should give to a female friend, man to man, uh, woman to woman, or as they used to say on the uh, classical uh, children's tapes, Persian to Persian, this has to be given person to person, uh, one to one, and one has to give two foods that are ready to eat or drink, of course, that is ready to be consumed. It does not have to be a different genre. It doesn't have to be a different blessing. It's got to be just two ready-to-eat foodstuffs. And, of course, it's got to be of a um, of an amount that is um, considered to be substantial enough. It's not that much, but one couldn't, for instance, give a peanut and a pea. Um, <clears throat> it's got to be something that is uh, at least a couple of mouthfuls um, of food that one is uh, giving, um, distributing, and giving to friends at least to one other person. And then the fourth mitzvah, of course, is to eat a sudat purim, to eat a purim meal. And this should be done, of course, after we've heard the Megillah read twice as well. And therefore it is done uh, tomorrow from the time of the reading of the Megillah in the morning, whenever that is, onwards throughout the day, one should engage in a proper meal. Um, a proper meal as in a kind of a Yom Tov meal. It's uh, traditional to have even candles on the table to put on a beautiful tablecloth and to make it a proper meal, not just a little snack. We're lucky that tomorrow is a public holiday here in South Africa and therefore a lot easier this year to celebrate and to do all of these mitzvahs of Purim than um, really ever before. Be back with you to sum up right after this. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. So we have the wonderful mitzvahs of Purim, and um, it's not just because it's a mitzvah of Purim. Actually, there's something else that we really, really have to have in uh, big chunks on Purim, and that is Simcha. There's got to be joy. There's got to be happiness, and that happiness needs to pervade everything. That happiness is made up of not only having a positive outlook on things within our country, within the world, 
um, and so on, looking forward to great times, looking forward to the coming of Mashiach and having a positive, positive attitude. And that while we are here um, still in the throes of, uh, of, uh, of Golis, of exile and so on, we've got to have that positive attitude. Just the positive attitude alone creates Simcha. We've got to be able to put a smile on our face. We've got to have a happy disposition. We need to serve God with joy. So each one of these mitzvot should be done in a happy way, in a way whereby we are glad and we think about and we need to think about what a privilege it is to be Jewish. And uh, let's not allow that the world out there gets their way in telling us that um, um, there's something wrong with being Jewish and that um, there's something wrong with um, the behaviors of Jews or of Israel and so on. Let's rather adopt the attitude of the fact that we are besimcha, we're happy. We're proud to be Jewish. We're happy. We're happy with our fellow men. We may not, and we don't have to agree with everything that everybody says and everybody does, but we have the broadness of mind to be able to um, understand and to live with each other and realize that our brothers are our brothers, our sisters are our sisters, our family is our family, our people are our people, and it's an honor and a privilege to be part of it all and therefore to have an added element of simcha that uh, comes from a logical point of view. In fact, when it comes to Purim, we're told that we need to reach a level whereby the logic of it all doesn't really make need to make sense anymore. Um, uh, some people uh, believe and say that this is the way that the only way that this can be accomplished is by um, drowning ourselves in alcohol, by making sure that we get ourselves shikr, that we get to a state whereby we no longer know the difference between cursed is homon and blessed is Mordechai. But um, one should be able to try and do this with or without the advent of alcoholic beverage or any uh, thing that is going to make you um, kind of lift out of this world a little bit. We need to be able to uh, really do this with heart and soul and understand um, from a mind point of view that it's not doesn't always have to be so logical. We don't always have to be such rational, logical cold, calculated people, but we can put a lot of heart into our celebrations, and particularly when it comes to this one, the celebration of this beautiful Chag, this beautiful festival of Purim, which we are about to celebrate right now, going into Mincha this afternoon, and then into Myriv, and then of course, here in the Megillah Red, tonight and tomorrow, and celebrating Purim, like literally, like we've never celebrated before. I want to wish you a very, very happy Purim, a Freilichen Purim. May it be a Purim where we see the turnaround from darkness into light, where we see the turnaround from um, negativity into positivity, and when we have the trailblazing people um, like Mordechai, and more particularly like Esther, setting us the tone that each and every one of us needs to and should follow and can follow in the days, in the weeks, in the months, and in the years ahead. And please, God, um, to be able to join together in great, great celebration now and hopefully for all time. I want to wish you a great Purim. I want to wish you a great Shabbat up ahead. Look forward to being back with you same time, same place next week on Judaism 101.9.